Let's, uh, let's turn our attention to prayer, shall we? Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the gathering of your people, for the singing of your praises, for the fact that you promise, promise to meet us as we seek you. And today, uh, we pray, Father, a simple prayer that you would help us in the reading and the preaching of your word, that you would soften our hearts and open our minds, that you would continue to shape our desires and our will to be conformed with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are a lot of things in life that you do not want to take a shortcut on. I think about specifically this time of year as it's the summer and many people are going about their different home projects and I'm going about the home projects at my house and realizing that one of the things you don't want to take a shortcut on is in the building and construction of your house as I'm repeatedly uncovering the things that the previous owner took shortcuts on. You know, we uh, used to have a neighbor who wanted to take a shortcut on mowing his lawn. Guys, don't take a shortcut on mowing your lawn, all right? This gentleman decided that he did not like cutting the grass, and so he actually hired somebody to rip out the entire front yard and replace the whole thing on a big hill with mulch, which looked really unique and kind of interesting for about three weeks until the weeds started to pop up through the mulch. And believe me, if you don't like cutting your grass, you really don't like weeding the garden. Don't take a shortcut in mowing your lawn. There are a lot of things that we shouldn't take shortcuts on. Can't take a shortcut on your diet. Crash diets are great for the short term, but we all know how they end up. You shouldn't take a shortcut on medical school. (laughs) Taking a shortcut on saving money usually doesn't work, because we know that lottery tickets or get-rich quick schemes often end in disaster, and it's not good to take a shortcut on airplane mechanics. (laughs) More seriously, you shouldn't take a shortcut in your marriage, because what you do in your marriage is an investment over the course of the long haul. You can't take a shortcut in your spiritual growth. There's no way to quickly become mature in your faith in the Lord Jesus. And you shouldn't try to shortcut the actions of God. And as we turn our attention to 1 Samuel chapter 24, we see a temptation to shortcut the actions of God. You'll see what I mean as we read this story. Please grab a Bible and open with me to 1 Samuel 24. We're rounding third base of this series that we've been in now for a number of months in the book of 1 Samuel, looking at the kingship of David, pointing to the kingship of the Lord Jesus, and how we submit or live under that kingship. And today, as we read 1 Samuel 24, we see that David is still on the run. King Saul is hunting him, trying to kill him, and this is where the story picks up, starting in verse 1. It says, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where, where 
there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord has said, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as, you sh- as shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words, did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and he went out of the cave and he called after Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you. But I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, You may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the Proverbs of the ancients say, out of the hand of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. And as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me with good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. And then Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. The hunt is on, and the setup to this story is almost too good to be true. 
Oh, the tables have turned. In the midst of 3,000 soldiers canvassing the cliffs and the rugged terrain, David and his men are crammed way in the back of a cave. Some of us don't like to be pressed up into the corner of an elevator, even with our own kids or maybe our spouse. But you can imagine how bad this was. Hot, sticky, smelly, four to six hundred men crammed all the way back in a cave, so close that they could smell the breakfast on the guys around them. And they were hiding. These men did not need another reason to be cranky. The situation had lended itself to that quite well. And then the unthinkable happens. Saul is with his massive search and destroy party, and he needs to relieve himself. And seeking some privacy, he pops into the cave in which these men are hiding in the way back. It's almost too good to be true. It's almost too easy. When a pitcher throws the ball right down the middle of the plate, we have an expression. We say, he set it on a tee for the batter. When a situation is very difficult or contentious, but it turns drastically toward your favor, you might say that it is served up to us to succeed. Served up on a plate like a gourmet meal ready to devour. And so here's Saul served up to David and his men, ready to devour. But what should they do? Was this God's providence? Or was this temptation? Was Saul's unwittingly entering the cave with his guard down with no one to save him? Was this an act of God that was orchestrated to alleviate the pressure and the persecution that David and his men was, were under? I mean, certainly David's men felt that way. Verse 4 tells us, the men looked at David and they said to him, here is the day. We've been on the run. We've been hiding. We've been fleeing for our very life. And now here he is. Clearly, this is the day that the Lord has talked about. Behold, I will give the enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. David himself has prayed again and again. Psalm 142, one such example of these psalms of the cave. He says, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountiful with me. And here he is, in the prison of a cave, with his persecutor upon him. Was this providence? David wasn't so sure. And so in the darkness of the cave, 
sneaks up behind his enemy. With the pressure of his men compelling him forward. And he raises his blade, pondering what he will do. And in the moment, he decides. With one swift motion of the sword, he cuts. But he cuts just the corner of Saul's robe. He let him get away. But even with the cutting of the corner of his robe, it tells us that David was struck in his heart. And at first glance, the guilt that he immediately feels doesn't make a lot of sense to us. I mean, he had the opportunity to kill him. And he just took a piece of his robe. What is going on here? Verse 6 says... David goes back to his men and he says, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. What is going on here? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that David's slicing of the robe is not just a mere damaging of the clothing. It's actually a symbolic gesture. For you to take the robe of a king or even cut the robe of a king is to symbolize your claim to the kingdom itself. And despite the fact that David, we know, was clearly the anointed king in waiting, the kingdom was not his to take. <laughs> the kingdom had to be given to him by the Lord. And further, you notice this conviction that he feels immediately is based on who Saul is. Twice, he says in verse 6, that he is the Lord's anointed. Saul? Even Saul, who is rebelling against God? Even though Saul is the one who's actually seeking to kill him? Even though Saul is the one who repeatedly is showing himself to be against God's purposes? He's the Lord's anointed? Well, David recognizes that God is the one who has raised him up to the throne. And only God is the one who will take him off of that throne. And here lies the key to understanding that important question. Was this providence? Or was this temptation? How can we tell the difference? It was abundantly clear that David would become the king. However, how he would become the king was in question. And David saw what we need to know. That God cares not only about the fact that his will be enacted, but he also cares about how his will is enacted. And it is not our place to take the shortcut. You might say it this way. You might say that the end that God ordains must be reached by the means that God approves. Or more simply, God's will must come to pass in God's way. 
And trusting God's way or God's ways helps us to trust that his will is indeed coming to pass. Because there's a great temptation for the shortcut. And this is where this story immediately becomes applicable to us. David had a real opportunity to shortcut the action of God and God's vengeance by taking matters into his own hands. But we know it wasn't God's providence for David to kill Saul and to take his life because to do so, David would have had to go against the very laws of God. He would have had to sin to kill the king. And God cares about the how as well as the end. Now, David's colleagues in the cave were much less concerned about this. They were looking to get out of there, to spare their own necks. But God's will must come to pass in God's ways. And that's a really important thing for you to know for your own spiritual growth. Because trusting in God's ways allows us to trust that his will is being accomplished. And if you don't trust in his ways then how do you know if it's his will, or your will, or somebody else's will? Because the temptation for the shortcut is strong. The temptation for the shortcut is particularly strong in the area of vengeance. Because revenge is instinctual for every single human being. If you hurt me, I want to hurt you. That is the emotional makeup of our flesh. Maybe you heard about the fellow who was told by his physician after an examination, yes, indeed, you do have rabies. And upon hearing this, the man immediately took out a pencil and a notepad of paper and began to write. And sensing that the man was beginning to write his last will and testament, the doctor stopped him and said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not going to die. There is a cure for rabies. And the man looked at him and said, yeah, I know. I'm just making a list of the people I'm going to (laughs) bite. Or how about the married couple that had a quarrel and ended up giving each other the silent treatments? Anybody ever been there before? Don't raise your hand. This was a bad one. And they had been giving the silent treatment to each other for an entire week. And the man realized that he needed his wife's help in order to catch a flight to Chicago for a business meeting. He had to get up at 5 a.m. And not wanting to be the first one to break the silence, he wrote on a piece of paper, Please wake me up at 5 a.m. And the next morning, the man woke up, only to discover that his wife was already out of bed. He rolled over and looked at the clock, and it was 9 a.m. His flight had long departed, and he missed his meeting. And he was about to go find his wife and demand an answer for her failings when he noticed a piece of paper by his bedside. And it read, It's 5 a.m. Wake up. Or bringing it closer to home. Seeking revenge in the name of God's justice is often a temptation for us all. 
Because what do you do when you have a superior who's been holding you back at work in a way that is unjust? And you have the opportunity to make him look bad, but it requires you to be intentionally malicious and even sinful. I mean, you might say to yourself, surely God wants me to be treated fairly and to continue to grow in my career, doesn't he? The ends justify these means. Or what do you do when another child mistreats your child and your mama bear instincts come out and all you want is for that little boy to get his comeuppance? And you think to yourself, surely God wants my child to continue to grow and mature without all of this bullying, right? Or how about when an extended family member repeatedly insults you and your spouse because of your faith and the lifestyle that it leads you to live? And you think to yourself, surely God will raise up the righteous and shame the wicked. And they're the wicked. And I'm the instrument of justice. Right? In each one of those instances, we're tempted to shortcut God. And to bring about vengeance. But we see from David that God's will must come to pass in God's way. And in fact, that's a significant part of your spiritual growth and maturity. Will you trust God enough to trust his ways, even when his ways will not satisfy your revenge? Or do you just want what you perceived to be God's will, regardless of how it comes to pass. It's never a good idea to shortcut God. God's will must come to pass in God's ways. And look at the alternative. Look at how David responds instead. We see that upon slicing the robe, David waits until Saul leaves the cave and he's at a safe distance away. He calls out to the king to let him know what had just happened. He calls out to him to point out the fact that he had the opportunity to kill him. And he even says in verses 11 and 12, I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. So in the midst of trying to decipher if this was divine providence or temptation, David displayed a variety of things. I mean, the first thing that he displayed was resolve. He was resolved to do things God's way. The second thing he displayed was restraint. His Actions were restrained because of his resolve to do things God's way. He also displays here in verse 12 a, a tremendous amount of confidence. Confidence 
not in himself to bring about vengeance, but confidence that God will, in fact, avenge at the appropriate time. And in fact, this confidence is shown just a few verses later. Look at verse 15 with me. He continues on in his small speech to the king from a distance, and he says, May the Lord therefore be the judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. So he's not just simply trusting that God will bring vengeance. But he's displaying a confidence in the God himself who will bring vengeance. His confidence is not only in God's action, it's in God's person. Do you trust God enough to wait for his vengeance on your behalf? David displays this trust and this confidence, and he shows us in some ways the secret to waiting. Because when you've been wounded, when you've been persecuted, when all of your fleshly instincts are to lash out in revenge, one of the hardest things that it feels like to do is to wait. <laughs> but David shows us the secret to waiting. And it is prayer. Confidence, resolve, restraint, and prayer. Prayer for God's justice specifically is the empowerment in the waiting for that justice to happen. And so David says in verse 15, may the Lord plead my cause and deliver me. Pleading his cause, that's prayer. And that's exactly what David did in all of the psalms written around these periods in the cave. Psalm 34, he says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And may the afflictions of the, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Pleading with God, prayer for his vengeance. That's what David does in Psalm 57 while he's on the run. And he cries out to God the Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Pleading with God. Prayer is what David does while on the run. In Psalm 142, he says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Prayer for God's justice is the empowerment in waiting for it to happen. <laughs> because God's will must come to pass in God's ways. If you feel like you've been wronged and all you want is vengeance, 
Remember the pattern of David. Resolve. Restraint. (laughs) Confidence. And prayer. And at the end, there will be one of two possible results. Either God will exact his vengeance in his way at his time or he will show mercy and grant repentance. We see a picture of this in the book of Revelation chapter 6. It's a powerful image of a vision of heaven from the Apostle John while Jesus is opening the seals and the voice of those who have been terribly wronged are crying out to God. It says in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. The cries of the martyrs in heaven call out for the vengeance of God and he tells them to wait. (laughs) And if they can wait... So can you. Because his vengeance will come. The story concludes with Saul expressing remorse. But we know it's not repentance. He says, if you look down in Verses 17 and on, he says to David, he cries out to him through tears and weeping, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And he goes on to say, I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. It's as if he admits that his own actions are actually based on his idea of vengeance. Vengeance against David because... He has the favor of God, and Saul no longer does. But his remorse is not repentance. We know it's not repentance. Because he would continue to shortcut God. Just a few chapters later, in chapter 26, we see almost a repeat scenario in which he is seeking to kill David again because Saul doesn't recognize that God's will must come to pass in God's ways. But there's a gospel hope here. 
the hope is for those who shortcut God that he doesn't always enact vengeance, that sometimes he grants repentance. And that's a good, good news for us. Because when people are far off, when people take matters into their own hands, when people live in a way that simply responds to that internal instinct of the flesh for revenge, when people seek to live out according to their own desires, to their own pleasures, to their own priorities, with little or no thought of God himself, when people are deserving of the vengeance of a holy and just God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is the message of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins to quell the wrath of God for the salvation of souls. And that is the way of the kingdom. God's will must come to pass God's ways. May we live accordingly. Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, we confess that your timing is perfect and your ways are true. And our emotions, though strong, and our hurt, though deep, are not excuses to shortcut your ways. And so, Lord God, give us resolve, give us restraint, give us confidence in you, and help us to pray that we may see your justice done and your mercy applied. In the name of our Savior Jesus.